Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, shalom, shalom. Hey, welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from South Louisiana. How are you? I hope you're well. Hope you and your family and all of your loved ones are well. And uh, I hope that as the summer is rolling along that uh, you guys are all staying safe in the heat and all of that. I know here in South Louisiana, Hoo-wee. man, it is getting hot all of a sudden. We had a little longer cool weather than we usually do. Uh, and yet, man, when it turned on, it turned on big time. So uh, I hope you're all well and safe and and happy and healthy. And uh, it's a pleasure to be with you guys today. So uh, as we always do, if it's your first time listening, thank you for dropping by. And uh, just know that we we really love and appreciate you guys as a community and uh, and want to hear from you. Um, we live stream our Shabbat fellowships each Saturday morning at 10 a.m. from Out of Ashes uh, Ministries here in southwest Louisiana. Uh, we do that on our website, outofashesministries.org, Facebook and YouTube, as well as on our mobile app. So uh, pop in the chat, say hey, say Shabbat Shalom. Let us know where you're watching from. Uh, we love to connect with you guys. Uh, and those of you who have listened for a while, thank you all so much for being such an awesome community, uh, for the comments and emails and all those things. Uh, really super duper appreciate it. And, uh, and just enjoy getting to do this. I'm thankful for Hebrew Nation and uh, Roland and all the, the guys on the leadership team and technical teams and uh, everybody that makes uh, this ministry possible. It's an awesome thing for, for those of us. Uh, who just you know want to talk to a, a little bit bigger audience and have the ability to do so. So uh, thanks to you guys. And uh, so without any further ado, we are going to get into this week's episode. And uh, this week we are in Parshat Balak. Uh, so we are st- starting, excuse me, in uh, Bamibar in Numbers uh, chapter 22. So if you're somewhere where you can read or you can sit and watch, you know, watch, watch your phone, read your phone, whatever, uh, if you're not driving or anything like that, then by all means, turn to the Parsha and uh, we're going to uh, walk through it a little bit and pull out some interesting things that I, I found uh, over the last couple years that I want to want to talk about. So before we do that, as we always do, let's just bless the Father really quickly and uh, get into Parshat Belach. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King, we bless you, we bless you. Your creation blesses its creator. And we thank you for the opportunity to get together, even it's over the internet waves and whatever it is, you just are creating such an incredible family and we bless you for it today. So jumping into Parshat Balak, 
Um, the last, uh, well, this starting this Torah portion cycle, uh, not at the very beginning, but uh, most of the way through, I remembered, uh, and it's kind of a shame on me thing, um, but I remembered that I have um, an edition of Chumash um, that I bought years ago, and actually, sadly, like I said, to my embarrassment, I actually kind of forgot I had it. And uh, anytime I come across a resource that you know I think is helpful, that is helpful for me, and I think would be helpful for you, um, I always want to pass it on and just tell you: if you don't have a Humash, um, you should. C H U M A S H Humash. It is uh, mine is a stone edition, which is the Tanakh I use, the Tanakh version I use. So it, it helps. It's similar. Um, this is put out by Art Scroll. Uh, it is the Torah. Uh, the Haftarah, and the five uh, Megillot, with uh, commentary from just a smattering of the rabbinic, uh, you know, the sages and the rabbinic writings. Uh, so there's going to be some, uh, there's going to be Rashi, Rambam, Ramban, um, there's going to be Midrash, and all different kinds of things. And it is, it is awesome. Um, it's awesome for background, it's awesome for study. And uh, I would encourage you guys to to get a humash. It's really it's really has added to my Torah study. Many of you probably already have one. You go like, yeah, that's old news. I know. Like I said, I've had it for a while, and uh, and just recently picked it back up uh, just the last few months in this uh, parsha cycle. So uh, I'm going to be reading a little bit from the commentary of, of the humash, and um, so I want to start in Balak. Now, uh, Balak is uh, an important Parsha, um, for a lot of reasons. I know that even even in the the church circles that I came from, I remember Balak being preached about a lot. Uh, I remember um, this was one of the stories, you know, kind of one of the you got like Noah and you got Daniel in the lion's den and you got you know David and Goliath, um, but this was one of the stories that was that was preached on a lot. Uh, and taught from a lot, whether it was in the Baptist church or the Pentecostal circles, wherever, whichever side it was. And um, yet I, I found one little kind of nugget in this several years ago that uh, I want to kind of remember this week as we talk about it, bring back to remembrance and, and share with, with all of you, um, because it, it, it's a little different than the way I was taught it. And so we'll, we'll get to that, but um, let's talk about uh, Balak. So uh, I'm going to read from the Humash just real quick. Um, this calls uh, the the this uh, commentary refers to Balaam, which is who is the prophet we're talking about. Uh, Balaam as prophet of the nations, not to the nations, but of the nations. And I found this I found this really interesting um, because as we talk about um, as we talk about Israel and the covenants. And we talk about you know the people of God and and as as those of us who are uh, you know finding our identity in Israel are finding our identity in you know the covenants of Israel uh, through Yeshua and as, as we play this identity game and we try to figure out kind of who we are and where we fit um, it, it can be really treacherous and and really tough and I have adopted kind of a view. Um, that uh, we've talked about on Shabbat morning. So again, if you're missing those, come join us uh, at 10 a.m. Central. But I've adopted kind of this uh, really Israel-centric view of of God himself. Um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago uh, when we talked about Shavuot, uh, our continuation of Shavuot. 
and the idea that um, you know every nation in the ancient world has a cult god, and that I, I I'm feeling most uncomfortable using that word cult because it carries a lot of baggage for many of us, but not cult as in like Jeffrey Dahmer cult or not Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, who am I trying to think of? Uh, the guy in Texas. Uh, anyway, doesn't matter. Um, David Koresh, that's the guy I'm trying to think of. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, not that kind of cult, but cult is in, uh, you know, the, the academic kind of definition of cult is just a, a national deity and their worship practices, uh, or cult worship is the practices by which they worship their own, their own deity. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, each nation around Israel has a deity. The Moabites have a deity, the Amorites, you know, the Egyptians have a deity, uh, you know, all of Mesopotamia. Um, has has a deity or varying deities depending on the region, the tribe, the nation, etc. So um, if we kind of put it in that context and think about uh, the, the biblical text, especially the Torah, the early Torah, in that way, in the, the beginning of Israel's journey, if we think about it in that way, then, then we, we uh, can more easily place and kind of more easily think about why the the writings of Scripture are kind of the way they're written sometimes, and even today why the Jewish people see some of the things the way they do. So what do I mean by that? Well, we, and because of Christianity, and I'll say Baruch Hashem, because of Christianity, the knowledge of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is worldwide. Um, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's few and far between places that, although there are, some, there are many probably, there are few and far between places where the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not known, um, where the God of Israel is not known as, as the supreme and as the creator. And that, that is, a, is a wonderful thing. And, and I do believe in the scripture where, you know, it proclaims that Hashem, that God is the God of all the earth and all peoples and all creation. And I do believe that. Uh, I mean, a thousand percent. And yet, through such a wide expanse of the knowledge of the God of Jacob, we, the, the, the dynamics and the character of God has almost been watered down a little bit, uh, in, in my opinion. You may disagree with that, and that's okay. But, but it's like the idea of God has been watered down. Um, because, I mean, just across the 40-something thousand denominations of Christianity, right, you can go all the way from like apostolic Pentecostal who says that God is, you know, a God of holiness and that he expects you to, you know, live a certain way and do one, two, three things and these certain, you know, regulations and standards and things. Um, and then you have, you know, some Christian denominations that are like LGBTQXYZ, whatever, that are, you know, that, that say, no, God is more like this. So, I mean, just look at the wide expanse and the wide variation that we have in defining kind of who God is. And and I know it's really easy for those of us who are more fundamentalists to say, well, yeah, but the Word says who He is. And I believe that as well. I agree with you. And, and I would say absolutely it does. Um, and yet you can have, you know, you can have one scripture taken 8, 10, 12, 15, whatever, different ways, and people can look at it differently and come to different theological conclusions. So all that to, to kind of just make my point that, um, that the character of God, the identity of God, has been, in my opinion, uh, washed out and, and a little watered down because God has been exposed to so many people. And I made a statement 
um, the couple times that I've talked about this, and as, as after I make the statement, I think, am I saying that right? Is that, is that really what I mean? And, I, and it really is. And that is that when a nation has a, has a god, um, that god is tied to the nation, and that nation is tied to that deity, and that's just the way it works. Um, the, the god of, uh, of the Babylonians, or the, the pantheon, the gods of the Babylonians, um, are unique to those Babylonians. Now, as the Babylonians conquer other, you know, other territories, then more people get exposed to their gods, and yet the Babylonians uh, are unique to that god, and that god is unique to the Babylonians. And this goes for the Romans and their pantheon, the Greeks and their pantheon, um, and it does to Israel as well. Now, what happens is that Israel and their their god Hashem Avinu, he uh, he deals with the nation, and this is the statement that I've made that the that the deity defines the nation, right? I.e., the Torah. Hashem said, "This is this is how you're going to be a peculiar people, a set apart people, set apart for me. You're going to look different than everybody else. Great." So Hashem defines the nation, or the deity defines the nation. But the nation also defines the deity. And that's the part of the statement that when I, when I said it the first time, I thought, yeah, that sounds right, but it, it feels a little uncomfortable. Um, just from my kind of, I guess, conservative upbringing, I don't guess we would ever say anything like that, because God is God, and He defines who He is. And while that is absolutely true, um, that, that no man, you know, quantifies or qualifies God. However, the way that the way that the the nation that is that that Hashem entrusts Himself to talks about Him, then defines Him for the people around them. If that makes sense. So, the you know Hashem reveals Himself to Israel, and in 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 every way He is good, right? And yet when He brings judgment for one reason or another, then Israel talks about him in certain ways and they give him characteristics. We have the 13 attributes of mercy, um, right, that are listed in the Torah. And, and we have all these things. So the nation and how they interact with their God and then how they describe that interaction and how they write about it, they do define how the other outsiders, especially, and them as a community even, see their deity. And I hope that, I hope that makes sense. Um, th- this is the same for any nation, the same for any people group. Uh, and so when we look at kind of the diversity of, of denominations throughout Christianity, and, and I would even say within the Hebrew Roots movement, um, the diversity of understandings and congregations and, and kind of different dynamics that we have, um, you know, you have Messianics, which, you know, some tend to be very, very Jewish, um, but recognize Yeshua as their Messiah. Um, some tend to be some messianics even tend to be very Christian um, and yet little Jewish flavor and then you have you know the different kind of veins if you want to call it that of the Hebrew roots movement and and we're you know have our own kind of things and our own characteristics and so there's just a wide smattering of how we define God and how we look at God and how we how we say he expects to be seen and to be worshipped and to be followed, et cetera, et cetera. So kind of a, a, a long rant, but that, that's it's kind of the, the foundation for where I want to go um, in, in this whole thing. So as we talk about Bilam, 
the prophet of of the nations. I found this this really really interesting because this juxtaposes the the God of Israel and in his people Israel against the nations that are around them. And at this point in the story, there is no evangelism. There is no like there is no, you know, there are no crusades Baruch Hashem. There is no reformation. There's none of this widespread revival missionary type stuff going on. Um, there is there is Hashem and there is his new nation Israel and they are they they, he, they are solidifying their relationship. And so this commentary says uh, says God in his wisdom ordained that the nations should have a prophet who would be comparable to Moses though much inferior to him and this is why so that they would not be able to contend that if only they had had someone who could communicate to them the will of God, they would have been as righteous as Israel. So, see, this, one of the things that I've wrestled with the last several months is this idea that, well, if, if God is Israel's God, but yet he's also the God of all creation, um, then that adds another kind of dimension, another question to how do we fit in if we're not you know, hereditarily Israel by bloodline, or we've not converted to, you know, Judaism, etc. Um, and so how do we fit? It's just another part of the identity puzzle. And so this, uh, this, this kind of helped to, it kind of helped me a little bit with that. The idea that, that the, the sages thought of it as Balaam being the, the prophet to the nations that, you know, it would be unfair, in other words, it would be unjust for Hashem, who is who is just, right? Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. It would be against his character to pick one nation and say, kind of quite literally, if you believe this way, kind of to hell with the, everybody else, right? Um, that I've got my nation and, and, and they're going to be holy, and then I kind of don't care what happens to the rest of you. Of course, we know that's not how how God reacts. And the sages understood this, and they understood that this is not how, this is not in the nature of Hashem. And so this is the exp- explanation, excuse me, that they came up with, um, that, that the nations actually have a prophet who could hear from Hashem. And his name was Balaam in this, in this era, in this time, um, so that they could never say, well, hey, you didn't even give us a shot. Like, look at, because this is, <laughs> this is the root of kind of all replacement theology, Right? If you've experienced replacement theology, it's this idea that we look back at the Tanakh, we look at the the Old Testament, at the Hebrew Scriptures, and we say, well, look how, man, look, Israel basically didn't get anything right hardly, ever. You know what I mean? They just, from their inception, from their inception and their deliverance from Mitzrayim, from Egypt, they just failed over and over and over. And the in our arrogance... We say, well, not only now do we have Jesus, do we have Yeshua, but if we would have been there, we would have done a much better job. Or we have some fake humility, some false humility that says, well, no, we probably would have messed up, uh, you know, maybe not as much, but, you know, but God's, God saw fit to choose us, you know, and because they messed And we have this replacement theology. It's anti-Semitism and it's replacement theology, full stop, period. And so this, um, the, the sages tackle this, and I think that's why it's really so interesting to me. Um, so they go on to say um, that Balaam was that prophet. Um, this sidra, this reading, revolves around the ability to curse and his attempts commissioned by the King Balak of Moab to curse the advancing nation of Israel. The sages teach that there is an instant 
every day when God is quote-unquote angry, that's in Avodah Zarah 4a and Berachot 7a, meaning that he judges sinners at that time. Clearly someone who is guilty of transgression is the most vulnerable at that instant, and it was Balaam's quote-unquote talent to know when that moment was at hand. A curse at that time could subject, subject, subject excuse me, its victim to divine judgment. Uh, Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel, and it's interesting where this falls, right? Right after the last Parsha, given what this commentary is talking about, right after the last Parsha where you have, or the last couple Parsha where you have the sin of the spies, you have um, uh, Korach's rebellion, you have Moses striking the rock, etc., you have the death of Aaron, you have all this, Miriam's death rather, you have all this turmoil and all this stuff, and then um, Balaam shows up, right? So it's it, what the sage is saying is that he had his unique talent for for seizing on these times when a nation is weak um, because of this cycle of judgment uh, that Hashem is said to have. Um, and so it says, um, Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel, but God thwarted his plan by not sitting in judgment on that day. Um, this Sidra tells of Balaam's repeated futile attempts and God's insistence that he bless Israel. So significant were these blessings that the sages even considered making them part of the daily Shema prayers, which is interesting. Um, God wanted these sublime blessings to come to Israel through the agency of the wicked and immoral Balaam so that all the world would know that everyone is helpless to harm Israel against God's will. Selah. That's awesome. When, when we read through the prophecies, and we read through um, Devarim 28, and what is it, Varikra uh, 16, Leviticus 16, where it lists the blessings and curses. We talked about this several weeks ago. Uh, when we read through those things, that Hashem says, if you, you know, if you obey me, I'll do this. If you don't, I'll do this. Those blessings and curses, we tend to think of them as coming straight from heaven. They always come through the nations. So the blessings come through the nations, and the curses come through the nations as well. The nations are Hashem's vehicle, in part, to either bless or to judge Israel. That is just the way that it works. And we see this throughout the rest of the Tanakh, when Israel forsakes the Shabbat, uh, the Yovel, and the Shemitah, then Hashem does what? Well, He uses a nation to take them out of the land so that the land can rest, right? So that Haaretz can rest and have its, uh, its, its uh, Shemitah and its Yovel and have its Sabbath rests back. And so again, this is all through, all through the nations. Either the blessing or the cursing of Israel comes through the nation. Very, I don't want to say never, but not as much as we think. I'll say it like that. Does blessing or cursing just fall from the sky? It comes through the people around us, and in Israel, Israel's case, through the, through the nations. So we know that Balak is, uh, the, is an Amorite. He's actually king of the Amorites, and um, yet it's not mentioned necessarily in that way in the Torah. And uh, we know that Balak hires Balaam and uh, wants him to curse Israel. Israel's coming um, because he saw what, uh, I'm sorry, Balak is the king, king of Moab. I said Amorite, Moab. Um, he saw what he had done to the Amorites, and the reason why this is so um, this is you know so so unnerving for him is because Og and Bashan, uh, the Amorite kings, um, had kind of taken care of Moab. They had protected Moab. I don't know that we know that Moab was a vassal state, but they were they were protectors. Uh, I want to read this other note really quick on Balak um, before we take the break. 
Balak, although he was the king of Moab, his title is not mentioned here, possibly because he was renowned as a mighty warrior long before he became king. Thus, the Torah wishes to imply that even Balak, not a, not a mere king who relied on others to fight his battles, but a, 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 a warrior himself, was cowed by the approaching Israelite host. It is also maybe that known that Balak was not a king at first. His people received, uh, elevated him rather as a result of their fear as, uh, of Israel. That's from Nachmanides. Uh, according to Rashi, Balak was not even a Moabite. He was a foreign noble whom the Moabites appointed to lead them against Israel. So really interesting kind of history and background there. After the break, I want to jump into the Parsha, into the scripture itself, and talk about Balaam's donkey. That's really the focus of this week's episode, and uh, show you some things that have been helpful for me. So we'll be right back right after the break. Hey, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So we're in Parshat Belak in Bamidbar 22, Numbers chapter 22. And a little bit of kind of foundation history in the first segment. Uh, one more thing I want to read from Ramban, that is Nachmanides, um, out of the Chumash, uh, Stone Edition Chumash by Art Scroll. Uh, uh, about Bilam, uh, and this gets into the the kind of the, one of the weird parts of this story. Uh, it may, really makes us question, really makes us wrestle, and it should it should make us wrestle. If we ever come across any part of Scripture that just doesn't sit right, it is not intended to just be passed over and just um, just kind of relegated to mystery. Like, well, that's just obviously I don't understand it, so it's obviously mystery, and I won't understand it. No, it, it is for us to wrestle with. Um, it is for us to wrestle with in balance and, and you know, in, in, in a healthy way, um, but to wrestle with the text, but more so to wrestle with Hashem uh, through prayer, through meditation, through study, uh, and, and to see what, you know, what, we can, what we can glean from these things. Remember that Yaakov, Jacob, uh, you know, name changed to Israel, he who wrestles. That's what Israel does. It wrestles with Hashem. So this is from Nachmanides, and the, the, we have God saying, no, don't go absolutely forbidden to go the the uh you know a higher level of official official groups come back and they say no we'll give you more and then Balaam goes back to God and God says well yeah you can go but you only say this and that that kind of can tend to mess with us a little bit like well does God want him to go or not what because we think what does that mean for me what if God says no if I pray for something and I feel like the answer is no, does that mean I can go back and contend with Hashem to get a different answer? Well, maybe, maybe not. Let's read from Nachmanides and, and see what he says. It says, From the start, God told Balaam that he was not to curse Israel, and he informed Balak's emissaries of this, but Balak, undoubtedly aware of Balaam's greedy and arrogant nature, simply assumed that with higher-ranking emissaries and suggestions of ample reward, Balaam would readily come. When the second delegation came, Bilam said that he had to consult God, which was proper, but he did not tell the emissaries what God had said. God told him he could go, but only if the emissaries were ready to have him on his terms, that he would pronounce only the words that God would tell him, not a curse. 
God wanted Balaam to go and bless Israel so that the nations would know that even their own prophet had to add his blessing to God's chosen people. I think that, and it goes on, but I want to stop there. I think that's, that's phenomenal based on kind of what we've talked about before and the pattern that we see throughout the scripture is that, no, if God is going to send someone to the nation of Israel, he is going to send them to the, send the, the prophet or send the person to Israel to bless them. If anyone comes to the nation of Israel and curses them, they are not of God. They are not of Hashem. If there's a correction that has to take place in the nation of Israel, God will raise up one from among them that will take on that, do- that job and that duty. Think about your own family. Think about your own family. You know your family has issues, right? Every family on the planet does. <laughs> it's funny how we grow up thinking like, wow, my family's the normal one and everybody else is kind of, you know, might be a little bit odd or a little bit weird or whatever. And then as you grow older and you really hear the true stories of your family, you realize like, oh no, we, we, are, the, we are those families. And this, the truth is that every family is those families. Every family has has, you know, dark places and, and things that we'd rather not talk about. You know, we've all got drama and, and bad decisions and all, we've all got mess. And it's okay for us to talk about those things within our own protected family. It's okay to talk about how you're, you know, the funny things that your mom and dad do or the funny things that siblings do that annoy you and irritate you, whatever. And it's, and it's, and it's okay to discuss those things within your protected family unit. But when someone else comes from the outside and starts to pick at those things, then it, it turns into a whole different ballgame, right? And so this is the way that Hashem works with, with his people, with his nation Israel. It's that if, if anyone from the outside is going to come, they have one job, and that is to bless Israel. If they are going to curse Israel, then they are not from Hashem. Or if they are from Hashem, it is because the, the one who is raised up inside of Israel, Israel would just refuse to listen to it. We see this over and over with the prophets. The prophets are raised up from within the nation. They refuse to listen. They refuse to, to make shuva. And so Hashem has, as a last resort, to send someone from the outside, and there's an exile. And we talked about that when we talked about Vayikra uh, uh, 16, I believe it is, um, with the blessings and cursings. Uh, and curses that as bad as curses get as bad as the famine and the, the you know the death of children and as bad as all of those things are the worst curse the last resort absolutely for Hashem and dealing with the nation of Israel is exile because at that point outsiders get to do the judging and get to be used by Hashem as the the judgment and the consequence and so um, I want to turn over to kind of really the the point of uh, of this podcast, of this episode, and I want to read, still in chapter 22, in verse uh, verse 22, um, we know that Balaam is, is, uh, is on as well. Let's start in verse 20. Let's start in verse 20, uh, and this is, again, that kind of ambiguous permission that Hashem gave to Balaam. Uh, chapter 22, verse 20, um, God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to summon you, arise and go with them, but only the thing I shall speak to you that shall you do. So Bilam rose early in the morning and saddled his she-donkey and went with the officers of Moab. Verse 22, and God's wrath flared because he was going. And there's that kind of weird, like, well, wait, what happened? He said he could go. And an angel of Hashem stood on the road to impede him. And that idea to impede him, many of you may know this, some of you may not, that is the word Satan or the idea of Satan. Now, we talk about Satan, right, as, as a, a figure. 
um, that comes really to fruition later in the first century, the Hellenistic period in the first century. Um, really not here in the Torah is Satan as the Satan we know him today. That's just fact. Um, that the Israelite people, as far as we know, um, did not think of a, a Satan figure like a Luciferian figure like we think of um, today. Uh, they had much more of a, a divine counsel kind of, you know, later in the prophets, more of a divine counsel kind of idea where the uh, Satan was an office uh, that was part of the divine counsel along with all the other angels. And, uh, and the adversary worked for God for the good of the people. Uh, because you don't grow without adversary, without adversity, right? So um, the, that, that's the idea. In the Torah, even earlier, the, the idea is even a little different. Um, so we, we see this idea that I uh, was talking to an old student of mine the other day and uh, was talking about some of these things and uh, how they've been studying their, their Bible and, and reading some different commentaries and realized that their view of Satan is not what they always is not what we were taught in church and and I taught them <laughs> a lot of what I taught them as their youth pastor years ago um, and after I apologized and and, and repented um, I said yeah you know and I started explaining some of these things and that and I said you know that actually Elohim actually God is called um, is called a, a, a Satan in in the scripture and they were like no way and so I took them to this passage. And that word there, that idea is it's Satan, it's, but it's adversary, one who stands in the way, one who opposes. Um, even the idea of uh, Adam and Hava, um, that, Adam, that Hava was created to be Adam's uh, Azer, Azer Konegdo, um, that even has the idea of one who opposes, in a sense, uh, because that accountability, a relationship of accountability not only keeps a man in check, uh, but also a, a human being does not grow without resistance. Nothing in nature grows without resistance, right? There is resistance that can crush and destroy, but there is just the right amount of resistance that can cause strength and durability and consistency uh, and the ability to thrive, right? And so uh, that's what we, that's a broader kind of idea of the, the whole Hasatan or, or Satan, Satan idea. Uh, so continuing on in verse 22, uh, he was riding, speaking of Balaam, he was riding his she-donkey, and his two young men were with him. And the she-donkey saw the angel of Hashem standing on the road with his sword drawn in his hand. So the she-donkey turned away from the road and went into the field. Then Balaam struck the she-donkey to turn it back onto the road. The angel of Hashem stood in the path of the vineyards a fence on this side and a fence on that side. And the she-donkey saw the angel of Hashem and pressed against the wall. And it pressed Balaam's leg against the wall, and he continued to strike it. The angel of Hashem went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn right or left. The she-donkey saw the angel of Hashem and crouched beneath Balaam. And Balaam's anger flared, and he struck, struck the she-donkey with the staff. Now, here is where... I'm going to part from kind of traditional uh, reading of this. And again, we, I've talked about this in our Genesis talks that we, we've had, our Genesis episodes. We read this story, and what's the point we want to, the, the part we can't wait to get to? Where the donkey speaks, right? That's the miracle. That's the miracle. And I know, like, people have done studies and said, that, well, yes, at certain times in history, there's, you know, historical evidence or whatever, mythological, mythological evidence that animals could speak and whatever and all. And, and it's just like reading the story of Noah 
And the 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 point the 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 main thing we get from the story of Noah, or the main um, the main thing we want to solve, or the main point, you know, the main learning thing for us is how big was the ark, right? You read the story of Noah, this story of degradation of humanity, of Hashem's merciful, um, you know, salvation and redemption of Noah and his family, and the cleansing of the earth, which is his temple, the cleansing of the temple. Thank you, Shua, and driving out the money changers, right? The cleansing of the temple uh, of the earth, and then the, the, the landing of a boat on, on a mountaintop where Noah you know, sets up an altar and makes a site, all this temple imagery and all this beautiful, redemptive, uh, you know, regenerative, restorative story of Noah. Um, and and what, what do we get out of Noah? Well, how big was the ark? How do you fit all those animals on the ark? Like, that's what we want to know. Oh, my goodness. Like, it just makes my head hurt. We read about the Tower of Babel, and we want to know, well, like, how tall was the tower? That's not the point of the story. That's not the point of the story at all. That's not, we, we focus on, on, on such the wrong things. And, and that's maybe partly because of, you know, we're Western and we're Greek and, and you know, in our kind of our thought process, and that's just the way we learn. Maybe it's because the way it's taught to us in Sunday school, you know, it's illustrated, and that's what we kind of latch on to and what we hold on to. And yet, those things are not important. They're, I'm just going to say it. They're not important. I, listen, I've had really good friends that have been to the, uh, the Ark Encounter. Is that what it's called? Uh, the Ark Encounter, Creation Museum. No, the Ark Encounter. Um, and it's fabulous, they say. And I, you know, I'd love to visit it one day. I'd love to take my family and, and go one day. And that's, that's wonderful and great, and, and I know it's awesome. And yet, if we read the story of Noah or the Tower of Babel or a hundred other stories I could mention, and all we get out of it are these little minuscule points uh, about like, well, how, was, how big was the ark? You know, how did Moses call the, the animals? Like, none of that is the point of the story. And we read this story the same way. We read this story and we go like, oh, well, how, well, how is it? We get hung up on the talking donkey. Like, that's the point. And that's not the point of the story. And I'm not going to talk about the, probably the main point of the story today, but I want to draw out something that we miss, I think, because we're focused on maybe, maybe the wrong thing. So, verse 28, Hashem opened the mouth of the she-donkey, and it said to Bilam. Well, like that answers our question, how does, how does a donkey speak? Well, Hashem opened, his, opened her mouth. That, that's how she speaks. Well, how does that happen? I don't know. This <laughs> is what it says. Um, so, open the mouth of the she-donkey, and, and she said to Bilam, and this is the, the this is the point. What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the she donkey, Because you mocked me, if I only if only it were sword in my hand, I would have killed you. And the she donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your she donkey, that you have ridden upon me all your life until this day? Have I been accustomed to do such a thing to you? And he said, No. In verse 31, then Hashem uncovered Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of Hashem standing on the road with his sword drawn in his hand and he bowed his head and prostrated himself on his face. And then verse 32 explains, uh, continues to explain uh, this part. But this is something I never saw because I was so focused on the talking donkey. I never read this statement until I had been really, really through a, a hard time in ministry. And uh, I've been through several years of really, really tough time. 
um, nearly lost my family, nearly lost my life, just an, an, an awful season in ministry. And I, I read this passage, and it when I first you know kind of started really studying Torah about 14, 15 years ago, and, and I read this with new eyes. See, the tradition I come from, and maybe the tradition you come from, we've talked a little bit about this before, has this this idea that we as as human beings are are this this ugly unclean you know uh just filthy hard-headed stubborn um you know stiff-necked use a biblical phrase kind of people that god begrudgingly and trudgingly works with to fulfill an ultimate plan that you know that's some years down the road or some millennia down the road or whatever, that that God just kind of bites his tongue and bites his lip and just keeps pulling on us because we're we're this old donkey we're just this hard headed, stiff necked you know people and and uh, and God just begrudgingly and and laboriously works with us and works with us and works with us. And, and, and he really doesn't like it, and he wish, really wishes we would be something else, and he really wishes we would be somebody else, and he, he just doesn't like what he created and, and all of that. And for some of you, this may sound really radical and really out there, and you're like, what in the world did you grow up in? But for a lot of you, you know this story. You, you've sat under these sermons, and you were taught this, as, and the, the Bible was used to teach you that you were worthless, that you were absolutely worthless, that nothing you could do was right, and that even if you did do something right, that wasn't even you. That was, a, that was, it was either Yeshua doing it all, and you were just a marionette, it was the Holy, Holy Spirit doing it, and you were just kind of a marionette in his, in his hands, or that it was an accident, and, and you know, say, bless God for it, and move on, and, and try to not mess up so royally again next time. We have this thing in, in some sects of Christianity that you know, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. And so what you, and I've, I know I've talked about this before. If you've heard it, please just allow me because this is healing for somebody. That you're a dirty, rotten sinner. And so what you need is Jesus. Great. Where do I sign up? Well, you come to the altar and you say this prayer and then we baptize you and then you get involved in the church. And, and, but but you're, still, you're still really, really rotten. Because after all, the prophet does say that all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. Well, like, what the heck? Oh, all your righteousness. So anything you try to do that's righteous is really just, it's just, it's just uh, masked in, in, in arrogance and, and self-righteousness. And we, we paint ourselves or we allow, we allow church doctrine to paint us as just the vilest of creatures. And it is so incredibly toxic and is so incredibly damaging. Who... So you've got Jesus now, and you're part of the, the, you know, the church community and whatever, and you've been baptized and, and all that, and it's wonderful. And, um, and there's a honeymoon period, and everything feels great, and then you start living this thing out, and man, who wants to sign up for that? So before I had Jesus, I was filthy. Now I have Jesus, I'm still filthy. And, and he just kind of, like I said, begrudgingly just continues to work with me because that's what he has to do. Because he needs me for some future fulfillment that I don't, I don't know, I'll never see and I don't know about. You know, it's just so toxic. And for those of you that, you know, again, that are listening, that haven't turned off for now, and are like, what did you grow up in? Why didn't you get out of there? It sounds like a cult. I am, I'm going to say, Baruch Hashem, that you didn't grow up under that kind of teaching. 
But please understand that there are probably people in your house, or maybe not in your house, but in your neighborhood, people in your church even, in your, in your Sabbath fellowship. If you, if you attend Sabbath fellowship and are out of the church, there are people in your Sabbath fellowship that grew up under that kind of teaching and realize the damage and the toxicity that they carry. It is awful. And we are all, we are, we are compared over and over and over. I heard this sermon, I don't know how many times in my life. We are compared to this donkey. And the, 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 the preaching point of the sermon is something like, see, God, if God can use a donkey, if he can speak through a donkey, you know, he can speak through you. Wow. Thanks. See, we don't, it's not that we don't read it, we just read over it. We read the, the part of, of Genesis where it talks about us being created in Hashem's image. And, and look, just, just like four books later, four books later, well really three because most of us skipped Leviticus. Four books later, we're right here in Numbers and now we're, we've gone from God's, creating God's image to now if God can use a donkey, he can surely use you. What a vile and toxic message that is. But I love the donkey's response, and that's what I want to focus on the last, the last few minutes. This, this healed me so much, you guys. It gave me so much hope, and I, I hope it does for you as well. The donkey speaks up. The donkey sees what Balaam cannot see, first of all. She sees, or, or uh, there's some dispute among the, uh, among the sages, as there always is. Uh, Rashi says that animals can see angels. Rambam says, no, that's crazy. She just senses an impending, impending danger. Whatever it is, she is tapped in and senses something that Balaam does not, which speaks very highly of, of her as the donkey over this prophet of the nations, right? This brilliant man, this, this mover and shaker among the kings of the earth and, and, and all the things that Balaam was involved in. And yet this lowly, humble donkey, this beast of burden, is still tapped into something that he cannot see. Balaam talked to Hashem in the previous verses. It's not that he can't speak to Hashem, but there's something, there's something that he's blocked off to. There's something that he can't see because of a character flaw, because of one reason or another. And yet the donkey can. And the donkey is, is, speaks up, and I love, I love what, what the donkey says. <laughs> and I found myself saying this, and maybe you found yourself saying this under, when you've been, when you've been up against you know, an adversarial force and, and you didn't know what it was. Maybe it was Hashem that was putting a roadblock in your path, or maybe it was, you know, maybe it was Hasatan that was putting a roadblock in your path, and maybe it was a person. You just didn't know what it was, but you knew there was something that was keeping you from moving forward. And, and being crushed under that weight and, and trying, to, trying to figure out how to navigate this, maybe you've said these same exact things. The donkey says, what have I done to you that you've struck me? Why, am I, why are you treating me like this? Especially when people are involved in our lives, right? This, again, happened when a really hard time for me in ministry, and I had these same kind of you know, internal questions for the, the pastor I was serving. Why do you treat me like this? And she says, he says, because you mock me, and I would kill you if I had a sword. I mean, how narcissistic and arrogant is Bilam? I mean, how arrogant. And I love verse, 20, uh, verse 30. And she says, am I not your donkey that you have ridden all your life until this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do such a thing to you? In other words, have I not been faithful? Have I not been faithful 
And Bilam, all he could all he could say was, "No, you you've never done anything like this." And and here's my point. And the, the thing that was so healing for me is that Balaam's donkey, this this she donkey, taught me that. Hashem doesn't, people may look at us like, oh, well, you're just an old, arrogant, you know, hard-headed donkey that, you know, if, if I were God, I wouldn't deal with you. If I were God, I wouldn't have the patience with you that he has. I don't know why God has patience with those people. If, good thing I'm not God. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Good thing I'm not on the throne. I wouldn't have patience with those people. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the drunk in your town or the, the, the people that are always banging on the door because they're needy, because they're, you know, they're out of work and they, they have a hard time keeping a job. Maybe they're drug addicts. Maybe they're you know, homosexual. Maybe they're whatever. Well, I thank good, it's a good thing I'm not God because I wouldn't have the patience. And yet, the, Hashem doesn't see us that way. We, if you've been faithful in whatever capacity you, you know and whatever capacity you've been able to be faithful then you have the same, the same inquiry, the same um, you know, comeback to those, those people that are mistreating you, those situations that are hard, and saying, you know what? I'm not some, some stiff-necked animal that God is begrudgingly working with. I am faithful. And you know what? It's okay to be able to say that. It's okay to be able to, to, to put your shoulders back and to be able to, to bow your head in humility and say, I have been faithful. That's not arrogant. That's not false. That's not arrogance. That's, that's humility, but that's understanding, and that's confidence because Hashem has been the one that has, has enabled us to be faithful. You see things that other people don't because you've been faithful. Continue to be faithful this week. Until next week, shalom, shalom. Shalom. 